Fired Up show starts right now. And hey everybody, welcome. Welcome to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve, I'm your host, and as always, we are going to dive into the political machinery here in the United States. Uh, But first, as always, let's recap where we are with the COVID pandemic here in the U.S. Uh, Currently, we're at 104.4 million cases. Uh, We've seen 1.131 million uh, deaths from COVID and 675 million vaccinations have been administered. Uh, it, it should be noted, and I've, I've been tracking these numbers now going on uh, two and a half years or more, and you know the, the numbers vary uh, because totals get adjusted, more states report or states adjust their numbers up or down. So the, the idea of these statistics uh, isn't give you a hard down to the last person count, but it is to give you a sense of where we are going, uh, where the disease is going, and, and what's going on. Speaking of where COVID is going, uh, there is a new uh, variant that has come up on the horizon here in the U.S., uh, as well as other places in the world. Uh, it is the XBB.1.16 variant, uh, also known as Arcturus. And right now, uh, the estimates are that it reflects about 7% of the new cases reported here in the United States. So we have a new variant uh, that's out there and hopefully we have uh, procedures that will be coming online uh, to help us battle uh, this variant as well. In the meantime, of course, uh, we need to make sure that we are practicing all of the safety procedures that we have uh, come to know and love over the last uh, three years of the COVID pandemic here in the U.S. So with that being said, make sure that you are taking care of yourselves, your loved ones, and your community, and we will keep you posted on this Arcturus uh, variant and what's going on with it. So let's get into uh, this week's show. And um, for this week, I I particularly want to uh, reach out to uh, the, the listeners who are part of the, the Generation X, Generation Y, and Generation Z demographics uh, as you know, this is going to point to things that you need to be aware of and to take action on uh, as you uh, become more and more of the electorate and uh, as you vote in more and more of the elections uh, at the federal, state, and local level. If you've been listening to uh, this show on a regular basis, you know that uh, frequently we have talked about uh, terms like strategic and tactical uh, when discussing the activities, plans, and actions of the political parties here in the U.S. And we've also been talking about Uh, the need for us as an electorate to be as educated, informed, and aware as possible when we are are addressing or or paying attention to uh, the news that we hear coming out of the political world. Uh, This continues to be true, and we're going to talk a little bit in particular. Again, uh, I really want to focus on uh, the younger listeners, those who may have just turned 18 or will turn 18 before the upcoming elections in 2024, for example, uh, or for those of you 
who turned 18, you know, a, a year ago, two years ago, whatever. Uh, and hopefully I can convey to you uh, the need that we have to make sure that you are informing yourselves of what's going on, of looking at the big picture, of stepping back and taking a look at the bigger picture to see what the political strategies, or as I call them, the political games that are being played uh, so that you can you know, make the smartest, most informed decision uh, that you can based on what is important to you. So uh, with that, you know, as, as I've said, if you've listened to this show on more than one occasion, and, and if you have, I thank you. And I hope that you continue to listen and spread the word about Fired Up, uh, you know, and, and what we talk about here on this podcast. But uh, I, I pulled up some lists of topics that I have covered uh, in the past, uh, you know, couple of years uh, relating to uh, politics, political strategies and political tactics, uh, in particular on uh, the right and, and with the, the GOP, uh, as you know, they have been in, in years past when they were in the minority in the House and Senate at the federal level, but still strong in terms of the number of state houses and legislatures that they control. Uh, they have been active in a strategic plan to uh, consolidate their power by limiting or restricting the access of others who are not in their orbit or not aligned with their philosophies uh, to exclude them from exercising, uh, in particular, their right to vote, but also you know, trying to limit their impact on the political system and how their political agenda gets executed. Uh, for example, um, this uh, past week or over the, the last two weeks in Tennessee, and we talked about this on um, uh, the, the last podcast, um, the House legislature in the state of Tennessee uh, was the subject of a protest by students over the recent shootings in uh, Nashville uh, at the uh, elementary school where three nine-year-old children and three uh, administrators and, and, uh, or teachers were killed. And you know, there was a, a large-scale protest uh, outside the Tennessee uh, legislature and also inside the chamber. Well, you know, in, in case you missed it, there were three Democratic uh, state legislators that stood up with the protesters and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, uh, agree, not just agreed with them, but protested with them. Uh, and even after the microphone in the well of the chamber was shut off, uh, they used a, a, a bullhorn so that their message could be heard. Well, the upshot of that was that the Tennessee House uh, which is which has a Republican majority, surprise, surprise, uh, voted to expel uh, the three or, or the three um, representatives. And in the vote to expel, um, two of them were in fact voted uh, out of the legislative body, and one uh, survived the vote by a single 
uh, vote in that in that uh, process. Now, you know, obviously, if you've been paying attention, you know, this is not news to you. Uh, you have heard of these individuals. They are now being called the Tennessee Three. Uh, but, you know, just to to fill out the story, the two members that were voted out were uh, young black men. The member that survived the, the expulsion vote by a single vote uh, was a white female. Uh, make of that what you will. I know what I make of it. Anyway, uh, in the upshot, uh, the two members who were uh, ejected have since, as of this past week, been reinstated to their posts uh, on an interim basis by their uh, district uh, administrative boards. So essentially, uh, the administrative boards uh, under Tennessee law have the ability to reinstate or to designate someone to fill a term for you know a a lawmaker uh, that is expelled or that you know dies while in office and so forth, so the respective uh, boards for the two senators, I'm sorry, two congressmen uh, in the state of Tennessee who were ejected, uh, voted to return them to their seats pending uh, special elections that will be held uh, in order to officially reinstate them. So right now they are uh, back in the state legislature. They're designated as interim legislators for now, but they have all the the rights and authorities uh, of a a full uh, elected legislator. And you know it is anticipated um, with pretty good certainty that they will um, triumph in the special election and be fully restored uh, to their positions. Now, that was one thing or one tactic that the Republican-led House in Tennessee did uh, as a punishment because these three legislators uh, basically uh, broke protocol and as, as they were accused, uh, they violated the rules of decorum uh, in order to participate with uh, the protests that their constituents who were in the hall uh, as well as outside of the legislative building uh, were were conducting. So the the key takeaway here is um, where a, uh, a, a a reprimand or a censure, which are two of the disciplinary actions that are um, allowed under, you know, our, our constitutional system at the state level as well as the federal. Um, even a, a censure would have been more appropriate for, you know, specifying the displeasure of the body with these three individuals. However, uh, it wouldn't have, quote, silenced them and removed them from uh, the discussion on these matters. And expulsion would do that, which is probably the root cause of why uh, they weren't censured, but they were expelled. Uh, in any event, what I would recommend is pay attention to the other uh, Republican-led uh, or you know 
especially those that have uh, a strong majority or a supermajority, pay attention to those state legislatures. I would suspect, I, w- I would bet money in my pocket that you will see this tactic uh, applied uh, again in, in some other uh, legislature at the state level uh, as they, they being you know, the right wing um, conservative Republican legislatures find ways to deal with the protests that are being brought uh, by the minority parties in those states uh, being democratic um, and this will become just another tactic uh, to try to affect the silencing of you know the voices of opposition and this is not the first uh, I went through my archives and pulled up a list of the tactics that the Republicans have been using uh, over the last two years, um, especially uh, now that you know they control the House of Representatives in Washington, uh, what we are seeing is that they are uh, testing to find uh, the loopholes and the weak points uh, in the laws and in the procedural uh, policies and so forth, and they are proposing legislation uh, that uh, will eliminate those those loopholes, those gaps. So, you know, it, it is it is something to watch out for. And we're going to take a look at uh, some of the things that have come down the pipe from the Republicans uh, in the last 18 months or so. So l- let's get started. Let's go through the list. And as we listen uh, to this list, keep in mind that uh, while on the surface, Uh, Some of them may seem like uh, ideas with merit. Uh, There's also a dark side or darker side uh, to some of them. So uh, you need to look into them and you need to have in the back of your mind, what's the what's the real motive behind this? Uh, Not just what is the motive that they present to the media or to the public, but what is the deeper uh, intent of this legislation? So I'll give you a few. Uh, For one, uh, the House, uh, and and again, this is in Washington, the House uh, was uh, looking at and working on a term limit proposal for congressmen and senators uh, in the House and Senate that would limit uh, senators to no more than um, two terms and would limit House members to uh, no more than three terms. So basically set a, a six-year uh, time frame for uh, congressmen and senators. Now, on, again, on the surface, that might seem like you know, a benevolent idea. You, know, you get uh, a refreshing of you know, the, the people in, in the body and new ideas uh, can, can be brought in. The flip side of that, the darker side of that, what they're not saying is that it can also mean that voices of dissent uh, are not long lived in those bodies. That, you know, if there is someone that is being a thorn in their side, uh, at most they've only got to deal with it for uh, two terms or six years. So, you know, there's an ulterior motive with a lot of these and it's it's wise to be aware of that 
So another one, and this ties into uh, the troubles that um, the, the 45th president, Donald Trump, uh, is going through in terms of his legal battles. Uh, once the, uh, the New York district attorney's uh, um, charges were filed with former President Trump, uh, the House immediately took up uh, working on legislation that would make it illegal to uh, prosecute a, a sitting uh, or former president uh, for uh, any um, crimes. Uh, it would make it illegal to in investigate and bring charges against a, a current or former president uh, for uh, violations of, uh, you know, basic laws. Essentially, you know, it, it means they want to give, uh, once you've been elected president, you get a permanent get-out-of-jail card free. So um, that was another one. And it, it points to, you know, what the pattern is here. As I said, when they, they perceive a weakness in the laws or a loophole that can be exploited against them. Uh, they are working actively to create legislation to close those loophole, loopholes. Um, there is a uh, GOP plan uh, that has been proposed uh, to in, in various state legislatures uh, to limit uh, the number uh, of ballot initiatives that can be brought forward to set uh, increased uh, upward limits on the number of signatures that are needed and the level of scrutiny that those signatures will receive and other things that are designed to make the process of having a citizen ballot initiative, which is a way of creating a law in your state uh, that bypasses the uh, congressional uh, approval process and basically places that law on the desk of the governor for his or her signature without having it go through uh, the state house or the state senate. Uh, that uh, is a, a process that the Republicans see as a threat and they have proposed various types of legislation to curtail that or to make it much more difficult. Um, of course, they are continuing their ongoing battles uh, of voter disenfranchisement uh, through, you know, closing polling places, limiting the number of ballot drop boxes, um, increasing the number of signatures necessary to place a candidate on the ballot. There's a, a whole range of actions that they are taking uh, with no other purpose but to make it extremely difficult for people to vote. Uh, so, um, and you know the uh, the other thing, of course, there's been a lot of talk uh, of, around the abortion issue. Um, several states have proposed an outright ban. In fact, just this week, uh, down in you know, my my target choice target state of choice, Florida, uh, Governor DeSantis signed a bill. In, in the late hours of the night, uh, he signed it something like 11 o'clock at night, uh, that would impose, among other things, a uh, six-week ban 
uh, on abortions so that abortions would only be able to be performed and would only be able to be performed where there are certain uh, restricted uh, scenarios, uh, health of the mother, um, you know, and, and so forth, uh, up to uh, six weeks. And if there is a uh, an issue with the the health of the mother, uh, it would extend it out to 15 weeks. But the mother would need to bring some type of documentation, uh, and and this is in the case of uh, rape or incest. Uh, they would need to bring some type of documentation that affirms that they were in fact raped or that it was a case of incest. So that would either be, you know, a, a court document or a police arrest warrant or some other official document that says that this event happened uh, before they could get uh, an abortion performed. And then that would only be allowed up until the 15th week of pregnancy. And then beyond that, it would be banned. So, you know, there, there is that one. Uh, Idaho, in a, in a similar vein, uh, their Republican Party pushed forward legislation that would reject all exceptions to, to abortion. So they are making it even more constrained. Uh, and of course, we've also heard this week uh, that several states uh, are looking at banning uh the the abortion drug or at least one portion of the ab abortion drug uh, methapristone and making that uh, no longer available uh, in in the marketplace uh, just leaving the second drug which is less effective than the combination of the two so you know again they are they are finding these these openings and they are actively working furiously trying to close them now you know because at the federal level the republicans control the house but the democrats control the senate and the white house uh, a lot of these bills uh, will not uh, pass muster and get through the senate um, but you know there there are still or there is still the possibility that there are uh, Democrats in the Senate who are, you know, leaning toward more of a conservative view. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, Senator Manchin and uh, independent, now independent Senator Kristen Sinema, uh, who may side with uh, Republicans on some of these bills and actually have them, you know, pass the Senate. Now, once they get to the president's desk, uh, it, it is clear, and, and President Biden has made this clear, that he will veto this type of legislation uh, every time. Uh, and because the, the majorities are so slim, it would be difficult for the Republicans to muster enough votes to override a presidential veto, which is why they are spending just tremendous amounts of energy and money to get more Republican candidates elected, particularly uh, into the, the House in Washington and the Senate, but uh, equally to state legislatures, uh, as that is where uh, a lot of the uh, rubber meets the road in terms of the conservative agenda. What do I mean by that? Well, if we look at uh, what has transpired uh, since the uh, Dobbs decision and the overturning of Roe versus Wade, 
uh, a lot of the action uh, against abortions in this country has shifted from the federal government down to the state governments, the state houses around the country, particularly those uh, that are in control of the Republicans. Uh, by the same thing, look at the efforts that have gone into over the last uh, 20 years over gerrymandering districts in favor of Republican legislatures. Uh, all of this is uh, designed to lock in a uh, solid Republican uh, uh, leadership in this country, which would make uh, Demo Democrat proposals um, basically uh, dead on arrival just about anywhere. And the, the problem with that is that, you know, the, the idea of having a robust and considered debate on issues of the day would become non-existent. As the Republicans would determine what they want to do, they have the votes, they would do it. And again, I point to the expulsion of two uh, state legislators in Tennessee as a, an example of what that would look like. Uh, as I said, uh, as I discussed it, the, the idea was a, a censure would have been the reprimand of choice uh, in any other circumstance or in any other political environment. But because they could uh, expel these individuals, they did expel these individuals. And you know, that is something that the Republican Party uh, will fall to in more and more cases with more and more different uh, legislative items in the coming uh, days, weeks, months, and years. So, for again, I, I'm I'm pushing this out to the you know Gen Y and Gen Z listeners out there. Um, you know, you you guys have have been supremely active in you know the the last elections, and that is a great thing. Keep that up, but don't forget to pay attention to your state and local elections because that's the feeding ground where you know national level Republican leadership comes from. So you know it, it is clear that you know, the Republicans are on a mission to lock in control of as much of the country as possible to achieve you know, their overall agenda. And I'll give you one more example. Um, I talked about this uh, uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, where there is a movement afoot to establish what is called a second constitutional convention. And without going into a whole lot of detail, essentially a constitutional convention is a, a process where uh, a body gets together in order to uh, change or write uh, the, the constitution. The object here is that uh, conservatives and, and right-wing uh, people, especially the extreme ends of the right-wing movement, want to host a second constitutional convention, which, if, if successful, would allow them to uh, edit the existing constitution or to write an entirely new constitution for the United States uh, that would uh, codify most, if not all, of the positions that the uh, extreme right wing wants to see 
uh, as law in this country. Uh, and that is something that should be concerning because uh, it is clear based on what we are seeing happening in the Republican Party that, you know, personal liberties, personal freedoms, uh, things that we take for granted, uh, you know, things like uh, how the the budget deficit is going to be dealt with, uh, what's going to happen with so-called entitlement programs, Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid. Um, you know, all of these things uh, would be up for uh, essentially uh, non-negotiated changes uh, if a constitutional convention is convened. Now, that's not to say that a new constitution would be successful because it would need to be ratified by uh, two-thirds of the states. And math serves me right, that would be like 38 states. And don't, you know, while you may be tempted to breathe a sigh of relief over that, realize that right now Republicans control uh, 23 states in this country as it stands as I speak to you. So, you know, if the election process, which is part of their strategy to secure more and more state legislatures and state uh, houses and governorships in this country, to be Republican, uh, that could make a the outcome of a second constitutional convention something that uh, could be done in this country. So the bottom line is we have a lot to be concerned about uh, if our our desire is to have a country that operates on a uh, democratic with a small d process where there is you know honest debate uh, discussion. Uh, there is room for disagreement and there is room for compromise to achieve goals that benefit uh, the American people. Uh, right now, the Republicans have shown us that they don't care what the uh, people think or want. Uh, the, the abortion issue was opposed by 70% of the American population, not 70% of the Republicans, but 70% of everybody. Um, gun control is another one that has uh, majority support to the tune of 60 to 70 percent, depending upon which poll you're looking at, uh, support by the American people. And yet, uh, even in the face of 147 uh, school mass shootings this year, uh, it is, is something that uh, is not even brought up for discussion, uh, you know, after we see time and time again uh, young children being led out uh, between a, a police cordon, uh, walking hand in hand. So, you know, there is a lot that we need to stay on top of and, and be aware of and be informed about. Uh, we're going to take our break right here. When we come back, uh, I'm going to introduce you to Alec, and uh, we're going to talk about that and some of the other things that are going on. You're listening to the Fired Up Podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. If you have comments about what I have covered so far this show, please send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. I'd love to get your feedback. We'll be right back after the message. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I got to tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. 
Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... Uh, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> when people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. And welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I'm your host. So let's continue. As I said at the end of the last segment, I wanted to introduce you all to Alec. Uh, Alec is not a person. Alec is an organization, and there's a good chance you have never heard of them. However, uh, if you uh, have any uh, following that you do in your state legislatures uh, or the political process, then you have uh, heard of what Alec does. You have heard or have seen the results of their work. Alec uh, which is an acronym that stands for the American Legislative Exchange Commission, is an organization that was formed uh, in 2019. And uh, it is a uh, mostly conservative uh, think tank and strategy uh, company. Uh, one of the, the uh, products uh, they provide uh, are uh, ready-to-go legislation that uh, their members uh, in, in state legislatures uh, can access, import, and, you know, identifying it to their specific legislature, uh, submit it as a bill for consideration in their state houses and state senates. Uh, there is a, a uh, lot of that legislation out there and as I said, if, if you are someone who pays attention to uh, politics that goes on in your state as well as uh, other states around you, particularly uh, in red states, but in blue states as well, um, you have uh, been exposed to products created by ALEC and other organizations, uh, such as the Federalist Society, uh, the, the ALEC and the Federal Society are probably the big two uh, in this, but there are a, a handful of organizations that uh, create what is called model legislation uh, around you know, a, a variety of subjects. Uh, it might be gun control. It might be abortion rights. Uh, it could be uh, school choice. Uh, you know, any, any, any of the, the hot-button issues that you know we hear on the news you know day in and day out are most likely uh, subject areas for uh, organizations like ALEC. Now you know ALEC has been around for decades uh, but as I said it is highly likely that uh, you have never heard of them because they actually work at working in the shadows. Uh, what, what it is uh, well, if you go to the website, alec, A-L-E-C dot org, 
uh, you will see it describe itself as a, quote, nonpartisan, close quote, organization of state legislators dedicated to the principles of limited government, free markets, and federalism. That sound familiar? Uh, although that description, you know, might seem benign uh, at first glass, glance, uh, those that, you know, are, are critical of ALEC argue that it's central to some of the most profound shifts in American politics over the last several decades. And, you know, there are, are several groups uh, that, you know, uh, combine with ALEC uh, to, you know, to create something that uh, critics call a shadow state apparatus uh, and promoting legislation that sustains corporate power. So, you know, what, what exactly do they do? Well, in part, uh, and, and they have several, several things that they do in, in addition to providing model legislation. They serve as a uh, support and consulting arm for uh, state legislators uh, in, in putting together uh, legislative strategies and, and various elements of how a, an agenda gets uh, put in place and exercised at the state level. Um, so, you know, it, it, is, it is clear that this organization has been at the forefront of much of the conservative legislation uh, that has been brought forward, uh, particularly at the state level uh, in, in, you know, in recent decades. Um, the Washington Post uh, described ALEC as uh, designed to empower conservatism by bringing together state legislators, activists, deep-pocketed donors, and representatives from major corporations to push conservative pro-business politics at the local level. Uh, and they have been very successful at it. Uh, many legislators were drawn to ALEC for its resources like networking and research assistance. Public sector membership for ALEC has been estimated at around 2,000, or nearly one-third of all state lawmakers. Um, ALEC's uh, alumni, people who, who came out of ALEC's and, and have gone into politics, uh, read like a who's who list of conservatives, uh, such people as uh, Senator Marco Rubio, uh, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, and Vi Vice President Mike Pence. And as I said, um, they, they work hard to uh, keep their private sector members' names under wraps, uh, but you know, the, the watchdog group Center for Media and Democracy shows executives from UPS, Jewel Labs, and Chevron all attended uh, Alex's 2019 annual gathering. So what is it that they do? Well, as I said, Alec generates model legislation. Uh, these are pre-written bills for politicians to copy or adopt before introducing them in their state legislators. Uh, for, for, the, for those of you uh, who may be familiar with this, there used to be back in the day um, organizations where if you needed to uh, get a term paper done, uh, you could go and purchase a pre-written term paper from you know, these paper mills and you know, make a few edits to... Um, to reflect your own language and you know edit it and, and tweak it 
to fit your needs and then submit that paper as your own work. Well, ALEC works along the same model. In its various um, uh, areas of concern, ALEC will create model legislation uh, that will, will push uh, mostly conservative agendas, but will we'll push the idea, uh, give structure, give uh, you know, the, the how it gets done, uh, even you know, make estimates on you know, funding levels and costs and so forth. Uh, so basically, you know, again, a legislature could take a, a, an ALEC model legislative bill, uh, tweak it to reflect uh, the, the current situations in their state, and then go ahead and bring that to the floor and vote on it. There are uh, a lot of uh, laws on the books that have their roots in model legislation that has come from organizations like ALEC or like the Federalist Society uh, and so forth, uh, where you will see legislation you know, on, on a wide variety of subjects um, let, let's say gun control, you know, anti-gun control legislation. Uh, ALEC uh, or the Federal Society may have put together a legislative package addressing how to uh, derail a gun control uh, 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 mandate that is coming up through the legislature. They will write uh, legislation uh, that you know, appears to to address the issue of gun control while leaving intact uh, many of the tenants uh, that are the talking points of, of the most ardent supporters of the Second Amendment and, you know, the, the quote, gun lobby, close quote. Um, so, you know, it is legislation that's created uh, both private and public sector members. Uh, they work in task forces. Uh, and, you know, the, the uh, groups each have a private sector chair and a public sector chair. And this is according to information that was uh, developed by USA Today. Uh, in their task force meeting, potential bill ideas are reportedly voted on by both the private and public sector members. Uh, noted, it was noted by their chief marketing officer, that bill ideas could only be introduced by state legislators. He also confirmed to the publication that corporations can buy into a tiered membership program that starts at $12,000 a year. Lawmakers, meanwhile, pay only $100 for a two-year membership. Uh, if a model bill is passed by a task force, uh, it's then approved by the group's board of state lawmakers to officially become a model bill. Uh, so, you know, while they don't go in for conventional lobbying, uh, a lot of times their work uh, supports and underpins uh, the efforts of lobbyists. Uh, and, you know, what you'll see is, you know, a, a, a lobbyist working a uh, state legislature for a particular uh, uh, item will actually um, use... ALEC created model legislature as part of its uh, approach to that, to that house. So the question is raised, is there a downside to uh, the work that organizations like ALEC does? Well, there, there is uh, from the standpoint of 
you know, their legislation is written uh, from a solidly conservative point of view, and it is intended to uh, shape uh, the outcomes of legislation and uh, limit the impact that individual voters uh, can have, uh, you know, by way of giving them less of a say in state politics uh, because they're being overshadowed by uh, corporations and corporate lobbyists with a direct ear to those state legislatures, uh, and, and that, that ear is being arranged for by organizations like ALEC. Um, so what, what kind of policies has ALEC uh, been involved with? Well, you know, while they, they prefer to keep their profile low, um, probably because many of the, poli the policies it pushes um, like stopping uh, Medicaid expansion and ending paid sick leave are deeply unpopular with most Americans. Hmm, sounds familiar. Uh, in, back in 2012, um, ALEC-affiliated companies were boycotted because of ALEC's role in contributing to laws similar to the, the Florida Stand Your Ground law, which came under scrutiny after the shooting of Trayvon Martin. Um, the model bill called the Castle Doctrine Act, was passed through Alex Public Safety and Elections Task Force with the help of one of its members, uh, Marianne Hammer, who was a former NRA president. Uh, it was considered a great success with more than two dozen states adopting some version of the bill. Let me repeat that. In this one bill that formed the basis of Florida's Stand Your Ground law, uh, through the efforts of uh, ALEC members, more than two dozen states adopted similar legislation to the Stand Your Ground law. So you might say, um, you know, multiple states are using these uh, legal templates or these legislative templates to create laws in their state. Uh, where, where's the harm in that? Well, the harm can come depending on what's written into the legislation. Um, for example, uh, Alec, one of Alec's model bills uh, criminalized trespassing on any critical infrastructure site, such as an oil or gas pipeline uh, site. And, um, you know, a, a, a broadly defined term uh, that, you know, could be, you know, generally used for many different things. Um, the law that was drafted uh, said trespassing with intent to, quote, impede or inhibit operations of a facility is considered a felony under Alex's bill, which also penalizes organizations found to be a conspirator with the accused. And, you know, it, it's the, one of the things that marks, you know, these templated bills is uh, unclear, ambiguous language or uh, uh, applications which allow for broad interpretations by law enforcement and the judicial system, uh, essentially opening up to be uh, almost anything becomes illegal uh, under, you know, depending on who's, who's interpreting the bill. Um, it, it, as, as um, PEN America, U.S. Uh, free expression program, uh, told uh, the magazine Teen Vogue, uh, it ultimately leaves the question open 
as to whether your conduct as a protester will or will not be criminalized. You know, so um, again, just like with the prior bill I mentioned, between 2017 and 2019, 28 criminal infrastructure bills have been introduced in state legislatures with three more bills passed uh, since March 2019. Uh, a, a report identified those bills as part of a larger conservative backlash against progressive protest movements such as the indigenous-led North Dakota Access Pipeline program, or protest rather. And it didn't stop there. Uh, even COVID didn't slow ALEC down. Uh, they joined the Save Our Country Coalition, which pushed to reopen America's economy despite the pandemic. Uh, they've also circulated a petition to stop federal bailouts for states impacted by COVID-19 and uh, passed model legislation that made it harder for employees to sue businesses for providing unsafe working conditions during a disaster or public emergency. We heard uh, some things like that coming up around the meatpacking industry during the height of the COVID uh, crisis here in this country. So, you know, if, if there are conservative or, or similar organizations like Alex, uh, such as the Americans for Prosperity and State Policy Network, uh, conservatives um, ha have been recognizing that state governments are the fertile ground for spreading you know, their agenda. Um, if, if they hope to counter this influence, Democrats are going to need to continue uh, organizing at the state level, uh, no matter who's in the, in the White House. So, you know, if, if, again, if they want to counter the dominance of, conser of conservatives in the states, uh, Democrats need to get better at creating not just one organization, but rather an ecosystem of organizations that support one another. Uh, you know, the, the idea of a progressive parallel to ALEC uh, may not bring in big corporations like ALEC does, but, you know, they do see, and, and proponents of such an organization do see uh, state labor unions and philanthropic foundations as other options uh, for funding uh, these type of progressive groups. Uh, so, you know, there, there is a lot of work to be done in terms of uh, balancing out how legislation gets created in this country. Uh, right now, it would appear that the conservative wing uh, has a numerical advantage, but that is not uh, an overcomable, uh, is that a word? That is not an, an, a barrier that can't be breached. Um, the key is, and, and as we say on this show all the time, um, you know, that the people need to be engaged with what's going on in their state as well as what's happening nationally. Uh, one of the, the quotes in this article that uh, I referenced from, which came out of Teen Vogue, uh, says uh, many people don't follow state news the same way they follow national news despite the fact that states play a huge role in determining the quality of life for communities and individuals. And like we say on this show all the time, being involved and getting invested in what's going on in your state house uh, is equally important, if not more important, than what's going on at the national level. Uh, you know, it, it is more and more as 
the national level political arena becomes more and more uh, uh, worrisome and you know the battles get bigger that the state legislatures are going to begin uh, to play an even bigger role in shaping national political policy uh, than they have in the past. So we'll need to keep on top of that and that's another of our ongoing homework assignments uh, here on the Fired Up podcast. All of this goes uh, to raise uh, the question of, you know, what can be the outcome of uh, the work of organizations like ALEC and others? Well, we need look not much further than the election just completed in, in 2022 to see uh, what uh, the, the outcomes can be and what can happen you know, when these concerted conservative efforts are ongoing. If we own, we have to look at uh, the number of, for example, uh, re- voter restriction bills that have occurred uh, just this year. Uh, 28 states have introduced, pre-filed, or carried over 106 restrictive bills uh, at, compared to uh, 35 such bills in 15 states back in February of 2020. Um, For example, in my state of Pennsylvania, the Republican-controlled legislature has proposed 14 new restrictions. New Hampshire, their legislature has put forward 10 of them. Uh, And, you know, Senator Josh Hawley's home state of Missouri has nine voter suppression bills kicking around, while 11 are on the docket in Georgia. Uh, and, you know, you know, Georgia seems to be on a concerted path to revert itself back to a red state uh, after uh, Democrats won the presidential election and the two Senate runoff seats there. Um, you know, so what does this have to do with ALEC? Well, in addition to model legislation, uh, they serve as a conservative think tank and help state legislators and you know federal level legislators think through how the uh, the bills and the policies they want to enact are going to work and you know right now as we've seen in in recent Republican activities uh, even among the confusion of the uh, 118th Congress with all the drama going on there uh, there are a lot of bills that have been uh, proposed out. Uh, and Republicans, you know, we have to keep in mind, they don't have to win all of them in order to have a major impact on how political work and how uh, the people are treated in this, this country. Um, you know, in, and it's, it's really, really uh, critical that we stay focused on what's going on and you know what is is the actions that are being taken uh, against the more progressive uh, policies that we like to see enacted Uh, another good example the john lewis voting rights advancement act um, seeks to restore elements of the 1965 voting rights act that was eviscerated by the supreme court and chief justice john roberts in 2013 uh, and add, you know, uh, looking to add uh, additional protections against discriminor- discriminatory voter ID laws. Uh, the problem is that the Supreme Court 
could strike down this Voting Rights Act, any new proposal for a Voting Rights Act, as easily as it did the original. Uh, you know, so it, it, it's clear that the, the battle is on um, for the, the progressive agenda and for laws and legislation that really look after the American people. Uh, we've heard in recent weeks, uh, particularly with the uh, debt ceiling limit uh, fast approaching in, in terms of uh, defaulting on our debt and how the Republican strategy appears to be to uh, keep pushing it out until it gets near the last minute. And their, their aim is to push Democrats into a corner where they will have to agree to Republican terms in order to get a uh, debt ceiling uh, resolution passed. Uh, and, you know, truthfully, this is something that we need, as the people, we need to be up in arms about, we need to be vocal about, and we need to be letting our, our, our federal and state legislators know that you know this this gamesmanship, this brinksmanship, this game of chicken uh, is unacceptable. Uh, you know we we as a country cannot default on the full faith and credit of the United States. You know it is it, it is much too volatile a time right now for this kind of uh, you know brinksmanship being played by our congressional leadership. Uh, you know, it is also a, a, a bellwether for the times we live in where, you know, we are seeing concerted and continuing efforts at voter disenfranchisement by many different means. So if, you know, in, in, in Texas, for example, they, they limited voting hours, they limited polling places, they uh, reduced the number of drop boxes in districts drastically. Uh, so even if you know any one of those approaches in a state is not successful, the other two or three or four can do the work of suppressing enough of the vote to to make that difference. Remember, and and especially to you younger voters that we're talking to, um, even though. You know, Joe Biden won the popular vote by, you know, uh, eight million votes. The the deciding factor in the uh, presidential election was the Electoral College, which was won by only 43,000 votes in uh, three swing states. So, you know, while the Democrats, you need to stop talking about your eight million popular vote victory and focus attention on raising the margin on that electoral college vote because uh, that's where the presidency is decided uh, it, it is we don't have a system where you know it's majority rules where you get eight million more votes than the person you're going against boom you win hands down case closed no it's you can get more votes but yet you know, you can lose the Electoral College. Um, just ask Hillary Clinton. Uh, and also keep in mind that uh, Republicans um, have lost uh, the, the uh, Electoral College vote 
in seven of the last presidential, uh, last eight presidential cycles. So we need to be making sure that our political leaders uh, in, in the parties that we support are doing everything they can to secure the margins that are needed in order for them to win elections. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not just aiming this at Democrats. Um, we have had Republican administrations and America has done, you know, well in Republican administrations. There have been, you know, some, uh, not some, there have been times where uh, their approach to, you know, some of the human issues of our country have been less than desirable. But America survives uh, its political swings uh, anyway. We have come through Republican administrations uh, and we have come through Democratic administrations with all of their successes and all of their setbacks. Uh, we are a strong and resilient country uh, and as long as our political leaders are following what the, uh, the electorate is requesting or telling them to do, we will be fine. You know, we are a nation where uh, the, the people agree to be governed by people they elect to govern over them. And it's not the other way around. Uh, and we've also got to recognize that, you know, people that get into office, uh, you know, should have an eye to an exit strategy. Uh, I think term limits in, in are, are something that is long overdue in this country, um, you know, and, you know, maybe it is, you know, three terms for a, a House of Representatives member and two terms for a senator uh, or, you know, uh, six terms for House and, you know, uh, three terms for a senator, you know, which puts it at like 18 years. Um, I think that's that's long enough. We. We need to get away from uh, people who occupy those offices for, you know, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 or more years because uh, that puts them out of touch with the broader American public. So we have homework to do. They have homework to do. We need to hold them accountable for their work uh, and make sure that they are doing what we require them to do. That's always been the mandate uh, of us here on the Fire It Up podcast, and I hope that it will carry forward and become the mandate, particularly for you know you um, Gen Z and Gen Y uh, members as you now come into the electorate. Uh, please do as we say here: uh, be informed, be educated, dig deeper, dig wider, look for the truth and listen to more than just one source. Get your, your information from many sources. Uh, go around the circle on both sides because the truth lies somewhere in the middle. So we're going to talk more about this as you know, the, the year progresses. I'm going to come back with more, um, more uh, advice for the younger voters out there, particularly as we move closer to election season. So thank you all for listening. As always, if you have comments or questions about the show, please reach out via our email address at firedupradio, that's one word, at yahoo.com. That's firedupradio at yahoo.com. 
Thank you all, as always, for listening. I greatly appreciate it, and I look forward to speaking to all of you again in seven days. Mm-hmm.